Have you ever wondered why are Apple customers so loyal? Why just hearing a sound can instantly make you think of Coca-Cola or Netflix? Or in the B2B world, why the term inbound marketing makes you think of HubSpot? The answer to all those questions is brand. And brand is what we'll be exploring throughout Built to Last. Specifically, we'll be working with you to uncover what it takes to create a brand that's set to stand the test of time. A brand that customers love, that grows organically, and importantly, supports a sustainable business. Coming up, we'll hear from Helena Hembrecht, co-founder and co-CEO of House, a modern aperitif brand created for a new generation of consumers. But first, we'd love to dig into what exactly is a brand. To answer this question, we turn to Emily Hayward. Emily is the co-founder and chief brand officer at Red Antler. Here's Emily. Red Antler is a branding company, and I think that one of our biggest challenges is there are so many misconceptions about what brand even means. It's a word that gets thrown around a lot, and I think it's a word that often is misunderstood. So for us... Brand is not a logo. It's not your name. It's not your colors or your font choices. All of those elements are incredibly important and they are all expressions of your brand. But the way that we think about brand is ultimately what is the problem that you're solving for people? And therefore, what is the idea that your business stands for? You know, what is the reason that people should care about this business? beyond what it functionally does. And once you've identified that idea, that idea then gets infused and expressed through your entire consumer experience. And of course, design and language is a huge part of that, but it's so much deeper than just design and language. You know, I think it also has to do with what it feels like to interact with your business. I think customer service is part of your brand. You know, your return policy is part of your brand. You know, everything that you do, everything that somebody experiences as part of interacting with your business, that is all brand and all needs to be driven by a unified sense of your purpose. So your brand is essentially the entire experience people have with your company. But why do some brands stand the test of time, whereas others fall to the wayside? To me, the brands that stand the test of time are the ones that are tapping into a real human truth. You know, they they speak to something greater than just a moment in time or a trend. So if you think about a business like Apple, it was never about any one product that they offered or its features or functionality. It was about what their products unlock for you which is a sense of creativity and self-expression. You know, same thing with Nike, right? Like shoe trends change, you know, who's the hot athlete of the day changes. But Nike's always been about unlocking the inner athlete in you and giving you this incredible sense of your own ability to perform. And when brands are able to tap into these fundamental truths, that has so much more longevity and long-term resonance than just being about a specific product that may or may not be relevant and may or may not be outdated in a few years. So, as Emily mentions, when brands manage to tap into evergreen truths that transcend moments in time and go beyond a specific product offering, they are able to generate a loyal customer base that will stick with them for the long haul. So, when it comes to building and launching a brand, how do you create something your customers truly care about? To learn about this, we're joined by Helena Hembrecht of House, a drinks brand that aims to help people to feel good about what's in their glass. 
Here's Melina to explain a little bit about House. House is a beverage company creating products for how our generation drinks today. We're starting with alcohol, an industry that hasn't changed since prohibition. We're rethinking everything from the ground up, from product to supply chain to distribution to the brand. And we're the first direct-to-consumer company in the liquor space ever. Not only is House challenging the traditional distribution systems by going direct-to-consumer, it's also betting big on the changing habits and desires of its target consumers, something Helena had experienced firsthand. We launched House to solve a problem that me and everyone I knew was having, which is we're around alcohol all the time, whether it's for business meetings or for conferences or industry events or friends or dates, and we're gathering around a drink. And while the ritual is wonderful and something I look forward to all the time, there were downsides that were really starting to weigh down everyone I knew. We weren't trying to get drunk at those things, but it happens. And we definitely don't have time for hangovers, but it happens. And as the years go on, we get worse and worse and our joints hurt and our sleep suffers. And it really begged this question of, are we supposed to do this forever? Like, are we supposed to keep drinking multiple times a week and feel horrible all the time? And uh, it didn't take long to learn that it actually doesn't have to be that way at all. And there is a way to make alcohol that does not make you feel this way. When Helena started digging further, the opportunity for a new type of beverage seemed huge, once in a generation even. I just went and, and started perusing market data. You know, I wanted to see what the alcohol industry was today. I wanted to see what our generation was looking for, not just with alcohol, but, but generally as consumers and where the gaps were in the market and whether or not, you know, the alcohol that we were making, which was aperitifs, had a place in that. I had a hunch that it did. And, you know, very quickly, I encountered a, a treasure trove of Nielsen data and consumer trends and press trends around millennial and Gen Z consumers and how they're looking for something that alcohol wasn't providing. You know, they're concerned about their health and their image, and they care deeply about authenticity and transparency and convenience and quality. And you see proof of that in other industries that have been disrupted by more millennial-leaning brands that represent their values. And then you look at alcohol and what they were offering, and it was like nothing. And as the idea for House was taking shape, the shift in culture was becoming clearer and clearer to Helena. Aperitifs, long part of cocktail culture in Europe, were catching on amongst U.S. consumers who wanted a more laid-back way to drink, a way that's about socializing and connecting, instead of partying. The deeper I dug, the more I saw that low ABV seemed to be this tidal wave that was about to hit America. And even potentially aperitif culture was a tidal wave about to hit America. You saw that the Aperol Spritz was the fastest growing drink in America. You saw that aperitifs as a category were potentially one of the fastest growing categories in America. There were all of these little puzzle pieces that kind of fit together. With such a huge opportunity ahead, Helene and Woody, her husband, co-founder, and third generation winemaker, were focused on building house the right way from day one and had a vision to create a sustainable business. When we launched House, we wanted to be careful to not make the same mistakes as a lot of consumer startups before us, which is raise a bunch of money, put it all into paid, pay little attention to other parts of the company, whether it's the product or customer experience or other business efficiencies, and eventually find that the way that you're growing your business is unsustainable and you either have to get acquired or you die. And we did not want to do that. Woody comes from 
the wine and spirits industry. He's third generation. He's very used to running sustainable cash flow businesses and really brought a lot of sustainable business practices to the table for us. And I come from the creative brand side of the industry in Silicon Valley. And it was very, very important to me to prioritize the product and the customer experience above everything else. And those two perspectives together, you know, we were very aligned on building a sustainable company, taking venture capital because it's very expensive to build a fully vertical direct-to-consumer company and it's expensive to grow, but there are ways to do it that will not destroy your business. So for us, we didn't put any money into paid growth for the first six months of the company. And part of that was because we didn't have a ton of money to spare in the beginning. We had a very hard time fundraising and we put all of that into the product and the infrastructure. And our theory was if we put 100%, 200%, you know, everything we have into the product and the customer experience upfront, the customer will be delighted enough to share that experience and share it with their friends. We also had the idea already that alcohol itself is inherently shareable. So there was a flywheel there already built into the product. So our theory was don't half-ass it, like put everything that we can into the experience upfront and we will grow through word of mouth. And we could theoretically grow through press because the press would have a good experience with the product. So those were the bets that we made and it worked. I mean, all of our growth, we grew a ton in the first six months and it was 100% organic. And for us, you know, now that we're putting money into paid, we're seeing huge efficiencies, but we were able to figure out organically what messages really resonate with the customer. We were able to work out the kinks with the product and the supply chain so that the experience was as good as possible. So now that we're growing, you know, we're seeing crazy efficiencies with paid, but we're still seeing super high repeat rates and we're still over 70% organic every month. And we wouldn't have been able to do that if we didn't have the philosophy up front that organic was important to us and sustainable growth was important to us. With much of its growth coming organically, House was clearly connecting with consumers. But what made the brand connect with its audience right away? The whole House experience is vital to the growth of our company. I think a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make early on is not putting effort into every facet of the customer experience. Maybe they just put it into their core product, whatever you're eating or drinking or trying. Maybe they only put all of their resources into brand and they ignore the actual product. Or maybe they you know, cut costs by working with a, a cheap fulfillment option. But people don't realize that your entire customer experience is what you're selling. Like the stakes are just different now. You're not in retail competing with a bunch of other retail brands on a shelf. You are competing on the internet where the customer experience becomes much broader and you own it, right? You can't blame a retailer. You can't blame some third party for adding or detracting from your customer experience. You own all of it. And so you can't half-ass it, you know? You have to put all of your effort not just into the thing that you make, but the way that it's packaged, the way that it's sold online, what the web experience is like, what the post-purchase experience is like, how fast it arrives, what the packaging feels like in their hands, what comes with the packaging, how you communicate with that customer after they experience it for the first time, 
all of that is what they're paying for. And you have to pay attention to every single part of that experience. A little earlier, Helena mentioned that there's a flywheel built into the house product. But what exactly does that look like? So something that I talk a lot about is the organic flywheel and how if you have one, it can be one of the most valuable things that you have. And it's worth building your product around it. And in our case, that was the concept of sharing booze, sharing a drink with friends or with your family uh, or with a partner. And so we really built our customer experience around that idea that house or, or really most drinks should be shared. And if you look at you know, our website, for instance, you can see it in the photography. You can see it in the copy that we write. You can see it in the educational editorial that comes with every product. We really, really centered the customer experience around the idea of sharing this product. And when you couple that with you know, a product that we've put a lot of effort into, we know it tastes really good. And we put effort into packaging. We made it high enough quality to where it really stands out to the customer and you know the, the speed of shipping so that people are delighted at how fast it arrives. When you couple all of those things together, you end up with an experience that people want to share, whether it's taking a picture of the packaging when it arrives, whether it's inviting your friends over or bringing your family to the table to try this product with you, whether it's talking about your experience online. We see all of these natural points in the customer lifecycle where they want to share. And, and we didn't have to manufacture that, right? We didn't have to pay people to do that. It's this idea that if you put the effort in up front and make each of those touch points delightful enough, they will want to not just share it with their friends in person, but they're going to want to share it with everyone they know on the internet. And we've seen that. In a nutshell, House's growth flywheel works as follows. Someone orders a bottle of House, they invite a group of friends over, they share the drink and all have a great time, and then those friends order a bottle of house and invite their friends over, and so on. And the heart of this flywheel is the house product and its focus on consumer experience. But the way Helena thinks about product is a little different to most. I do think having a great product is the key to organic growth, but I think that you may need to adjust your idea of what product means, right? Like, one could say that the product that we're selling at house is the liquid in the bottle. It is the alcohol and that you could just make that exceptional and that's it. And it's just not true. You know, you can have the best alcohol in the industry, but if you are shipping uh, way, way slower than Amazon or you don't care about your customer or your website doesn't convert, like it doesn't matter. You, you have to think of of everything as the product, right? Like memberships are the product. Subscription is the product. Checkout flow is the product. Like emails that they receive post-purchase is the product. The box is the product. The editorial is the product. Like everything that they're experiencing in conjunction with your brand is the product. And you have to think about that. If there's one component of any of that, that is subpar, your product is subpar. So you can't just go and put everything into the core product and, and call it a day. Conversely, you can't put everything into the website and the brand and ignore the, the core thing that the person will eventually try when they receive it because then they're never going to come back. So you really do have to think of the entire flow as the product and then you will see that it is the key to organic growth. 
In terms of knowing whether or not you have a great product, I mean, hopefully you have enough experience in your own industry to discern whether it's great or not, right? Like if you go through your own flow and you try your own product and you're like, "Mm, man, this really could be better, like (laughs) you don't have a great product. Um, So you should think that it's extraordinary, truly extraordinary before you release it to your customer. If you feel on the fence about it and you're trying to sell it like it's a great product, there's going to be a dissonance there and you already knew it. So you need to be stoked about what you're shipping. You know, beyond that, you're going to have to rely on feedback and you have to pursue that feedback actively, right? Like we have reviews built into our customer flow. So we're constantly pursuing feedback that way. We're doing focus groups with our members constantly to try and dig into the more nuanced parts of the customer experience outside of just the core product and what's working and what's not and what would they like to see more of and what do they not actually care about. Pay attention to how the press reviews your product. Pay attention to how investors or potential investors or people that you pitch perceive and experience your product. And you know, don't take any particular opinion with too much weight. It's about collecting and collecting and collecting and collecting and figuring out the patterns and understanding that some people are just going to like it or not. Some people are they have different taste buds or they have different aesthetic tastes and and your brand shouldn't be for everyone. But if you are going after the core audience that you believe that your product solves a problem for, then you should be pursuing as much feedback from that group as possible and just looking for patterns and constantly pursuing ways to tweak and improve the experience. As aperitif culture is growing in the U.S., Not every potential consumer is familiar with the concept or exactly how an aperitif like house should be consumed and shared. And another aspect of House's flywheel is the way it teaches behaviors through customer education at every possible touch point. Imagery and content are very important to us as a brand. We believe it plays a huge role in customer education. You know, when people think about customer education, I think a lot of them think it's an instruction manual or a how-to guide or, you know, some sort of wiki, like it doesn't have to be that way. Education doesn't only have to come in the form of the written word or copywriting or instructions. It can come in the form of an entire design system or how the website's built or even imagery. And in our case, imagery plays a really key role in encouraging that behavior. If you look at photos on the house website, and they've actually changed a bit because of COVID, Uh, We didn't want to encourage giant parties of of people drinking, but we do believe that booze should be shared, particularly good booze that you buy for the quality of it. And so when you see a photo of house, you know, you're not going to see it on a seamless backdrop in a studio with no context. You're going to see it in somebody's house. You're going to see it sitting on a dinner table with a group eating together. You're going to see it, you know, by the couch with a couple of people sitting together. We wanted to use that imagery to just show someone how to drink it. And you can look at that picture and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to bring this bottle to the table, share it with the people I care about. And people just don't realize that visual cues can do the work of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of words of copy. So we're believers in that. The way House uses visuals to teach behaviors and show use cases is a masterclass in product messaging. For examples of this, head to its website, drink.house, or look up at Drinkhouse on Instagram. Another reason we were excited to share this story with you is because House is definitely a business that's built to last. And long-term thinking is part of the reason Helena and Woody have been so successful in launching and growing the brand. House is 
me and Woody's life work. Like it is incredible how our collective experience that is very different set us up to be the perfect co-founders for this company. And, you know, we're, we're motivated in slightly different ways. Like Woody's motivated by making the best possible product in the world and, and watching people experience that. And he gets such great satisfaction watching people try a product that's so much better than other things out there and feeling proud of what he made. And I am really motivated by accessibility and fairness and, and really feeling passionately that, you know, a dinosaur corporate industry shouldn't be dominating, you know, everybody's bar cart and that people around America and the world really deserve access to better quality products, even in alcohol. Like it doesn't have to be that bad. And so we think long term about this company. Like we're not trying to sell it to Diageo or Pernod or AB InBev. They're going to try and buy us, but we don't see that as a positive outcome. It also impacted how we built our business, right? Like we're roughly profitable and we are majority organic growth. And, you know, even though we raise venture capital, like we're not just blowing that money. Like we're being very careful and strategic about how we grow so that we know that we can survive a pandemic or a downturn or, or some sort of, you know, change in the global economy. And, and we wanted to invest a lot upfront into production and infrastructure and really own those things, knowing that, that it's not just about making better booze, it's about a better supply chain and better production infrastructure and better logistics and, and thinking about how, if we were to build the next giant alcohol company of the future, what are all of the pieces that would go into that to be better than what's out there today. And so for us, like, this is so exciting. It's obviously hard. We're stressed, of course, but like, it's supposed to be hard. You know what I mean? And, and so I think for us, every day is a new challenge. We're like deeply satisfied. We are, we're very comfortable being challenged and we're just constantly striving to, to grow this thing in the right way. And make impact. So, so yeah, I mean, I think long-term thinking really does affect how you choose to grow your company. And if you want your business to go the distance, then organic growth isn't just a nice to have. It's essential. If you want to be a brand that's around for a long time, then yeah, I think organic growth and customer experience are everything, you know, and they go hand in hand. Like customer experience drives organic growth. So you don't even have to think of them as two separate mountains to climb, you put all of your effort into customer experience and you invest upfront to do it right the first time and you constantly pursue feedback and you constantly iterate. That's everything. And, and you will find that people will tell their friends about it and the press will write about it and word will spread and, and your paid growth will be more efficient because they already saw your product in the press or they heard about it from their friends. Like, you doing that work on customer experience and organic growth will drive your paid efficiency. So it just makes sense in terms of making the most of your money. One thing that's clear from hearing from both Emily and Helena here is that your brand is so much more than just a logo, your design, and your copy. It's everything. It's the complete experience people have with your business. And whether you're a consumer brand like House or Sell B2B, customer experience will shape how your brand is perceived and your place in the market. 
And as Emily noted, to stand the test of time, you need to speak to something greater than just a moment or a trend. And that's something House does amazingly well. It's a beverage company, but its message about bringing people together is timeless. Thank you so much for listening. Next up, we'll be hearing more from Red Antler's co-founder and chief brand officer, Emily Hayward. Emily will be sharing how brands can tap into their consumer's sense of self to build connections, as well as the importance of focus. 